0: Welcome to Short Course, episode 119, for December 15th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I'm, once again, recording this on a Friday night, just due to life stuff, but it worked out because this week, I don't want to go too deep into it, I'll just give a a brief summary, but this week, on Monday, there was a special board meeting, which the bylaws allow the president or any three area directors to call with 48 hours' notice to deal with a single topic. The single topic in this case was addressing the discipline of DNROI Troy McManus related to the incident between him and Mark Stamper at Open PCC Nationals, which I can say because I requested to be invited to the meeting and I was not, so I am under no confidentiality. Uh, Mark actually forwarded me the some emails about this, so it's, it's no secret that that's what the, the topic of the meeting was. The minutes did come out today on Friday, as as is tradition, and basically the minutes say they went into executive session for three hours and then voted six to three to, quote, adopt the recommendation discussed during the executive session. So we don't actually know what the result was. They didn't even record who voted on which side of the issue. The really surprising thing was that that same night, Bruce Gary, Area 1, emailed his section coordinators and and other folks to announce that he was resigning effective immediately his justification for this is his work is his workload is increasing and by resigning before the end of the year it means there's more than 2 years left on his term which will trigger a special election so we will be having an area 1 special election sometime early next year so presumably that will all play out before the the actual scheduled area election, area director elections for next year, which will be area two and area five. So that was kind of a bombshell. We still don't know what the actual outcome of this, the 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 meeting was, you know, they voted six to three on something, but they haven't actually, nobody's saying what the something is. So we'll find out. There is also the regularly scheduled December board meeting is this Monday, which I have been invited to. So uh, there'll be a lot of things that they'll be trying to wrap up. I do know that the production 15 vote is it's the, literally the last item on the agenda but given that it's time sensitive and that it has to be acted on before the beginning of the year presumably they'll they'll get to that but we'll see what else on the agenda gets gets acted on i will note the agenda also mentions at the top of the meeting voting to wave 10.2 so that the meeting can be live streamed first i'm hearing of it but maybe tune in and monday night at 7 p.m eastern there'll be a live stream to watch we'll see. But all that said, before we got too far away from it, I did want to do an episode and just talk about IPSC Nationals and how it went and, and what I thought about it. And to be honest, I, I sort of have mixed feelings about it. So I, I went in with very moderate expectations after having shot the extreme Pan American match at the same range in, in Volusia at the beginning of this year. And so I was not disappointed, but I was not disappointed because my expectations were low. Now, I'll start this off by saying the the staff, they shot the match and then they worked the match in genuinely terrible conditions. It was November in Florida, so it was not particularly cold, but they got dumped on. The rain got... I don't know what the exact amount was, but there was, there was significant rain in the week leading up to the match. And then on some of the days, uh, I believe the Thursday before the match, maybe even into Friday. So I, I shot on the weekend on the, the Saturday, Sunday, where you shot a half day each day schedule, but I think it was the, the folks that shot on Thursday and maybe Friday that that got rained on pretty good. And so the range was, was very soggy. We didn't actually have any, any rain while while we were shooting, but the, the staff definitely had a, a a tough experience both in their, their shooting days, but then also having to, you know, work in these conditions where they were definitely strapped for help. So nothing I say here is meant as criticism of, of them, but I will say, I think my main, the, the main thing that, that, I would tell people about this match is I think a lot of people were hoping or expecting that this would be an IPSC match. This would be something like shooting a little miniature world shoot or a little miniature Extreme Euro Open, something something on the caliber of an actual international IPSC match here in the US. And I will say that's not really what this match was. This was a match. It was run under IPSC rules. It followed, it, it complied with with the strictures of IPSC rules, but in sort of spirit, it did not really fully manifest. This match would not prepare you to go overseas and shoot a world shoot or a uh, an extreme euro or or one a you know a major continental championship, a, a Pan American IPSC type match. So that's kind of the the duality that I find myself in is for the match that it was. I think it was a fine match, but it definitely was not. I think a nationals-level experience, nor for people in the U.S. curious about you know, how the rest of the world shoots practical shooting, how IPSC is in the rest of the world. I don't know that they really got that. One example of this is the way that gear is handled, typically speaking, at, at IPSC matches, which is, generally speaking, you're going to have an equipment check the day before the match, where you show up and and get your main gun and your backup gun checked that they comply with division criteria, they'll check your magazines. Basically, gear check is something that's done before you fire your first shot on a on a day you're not even competing. And then you're also given a a form that you fill out with your guns with the serial number of the gun you're using in the match and a diagram where you label the position of your holster and all your mag pouches and your magnets and everything. And the idea here is this is a mechanism to check whether you are changing guns without range master approval or moving stuff around on your belt. So the idea is at every stage you go to, they'll look at the form and sign off, you know, that, that all your, a, you haven't moved any of your gear, you know, from an illegal position, B that it's where it was at the last stage or, you know, when you, when you originally wrote the diagram and typically at some point during the match, you know, once or twice, you'll get pulled aside and they'll just check that your serial number still matches. So, and the idea here is if you're going to have rules on the books against this stuff, you need to have some enforcement mechanism and, you know, at your typical USPSA match, even in nationals, unless you go out of your way to tell people you could switch guns and nobody would be the wiser. I mean, nobody is really tracking you from stage to stage. If you have, you know, the same gun with the same grips and it looks the same, people on your squad probably won't even know the difference. You could go to the safe area and even someone watching you might not even really be able to tell you, you know. So it's one of these things where if we're going to have rules, what's the system for enforcing it? What's the system for, for catching it? And at this match, there was there was no equipment check before first shots. I shot Saturday PM. And so when we checked in, we were given a little quarter sheet of paper that had it had clearly been like photocopy scaled down from what was supposed to be a full size sheet of paper or maybe a half where you wrote your division, power factor, your name, your guns, make, model, serial number, and then it had a box for all 18 stages. And the idea was at each of the 18 stages, you would have the, the RO on that stage sign off on your sheet and that you had that your gear still matched. And it had the little diagram where you're supposed to draw your holster, your, the position of your magazine pouches, and if you had any magnets. And so they gave us they they gave us those sheets, but from what it sounded like, the people that shot Saturday morning, and I mean, definitely earlier in the match, the folks dealing with the rain, I don't even think they thought about those, those sheets. But even the the folks that shot Saturday morning, it sounds like they were not given those sheets at check in. And some folks, I heard people talking about, they would show up to a stage and they didn't have their sheet, and so they were just given a sheet. And the idea was, well, okay, you fill it out at every stage after this. But the idea of the sheet is, if you miss a signature, then potentially the you know, you shoot for no score, I guess, and uh, you know the idea is you gotta you gotta get them all checked off. And so, if you're not going to have the enforcement behind it, then then why do it? And so, I, I a lot of people were kind of irked by that. It's like, why make us jump through the hoop of having the appearance of enforcing this rule if you're not actually going to enforce the rule? And you know, fair enough. I I think it, I get that you're trying. You know, the idea of wanting to project the appearance of complying with the with with the standards, but Competitors aren't dumb; they'll see through this stuff. You know, if if the ROs don't care, if they're not enforcing the rules, if they're not actually, you know, in, in a lot of cases, you would just hand them the the, the stack of sheets and they just sign them all. I'd say maybe a quarter of the ROs actually wanted to look at at each person's gear and make sure that that it was legal. So I get it. You know, we were pressed for time. the 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 squads earlier in the in the week, some of them had had to finish up under headlights or you know under under compromised lighting conditions because things were running slow so you know th- there was definitely a pressure to keep things moving and and so that was one of the things that went by the wayside but if it's going to go by the wayside just let it go you know the the idea i think giving people the sort of false perception that oh this is an IPSC match and we're going to follow these rules but then it's a it's a facade it, it leaves it rings sort of hollow the The stages, so it was an 18-stage match. You shot nine stages a day. Interestingly, they they didn't have the stages broken up into zones. So often, especially at IPSC matches, what they'll do is in a zone you'll have six stages. So in in a given day you'll shoot three short, two medium, and one long, and they'll actually break them up into you know five or six zones where you shoot six stages a day, three, two, one. That that's not required. IPSC just says you know across the match. Three to one is is the recommended ratio. And so there were definitely some kind of weird match flow things where I think the three long courses were all within five stages of each other. So it was it was a lot of rounds all at once, and then and then you kind of went from there into just a series of all the short courses back to back. I know there were three bays. Basically, you went, yeah, there were there were three bays with doubled up short courses, or they, you know, they'd have them running next to each other and they'd they'd split the squad so the stages were balanced in that sense but the match flow kind of had this kind of roller coaster aspect where you had these these big high round count stages a few of which were pretty high hit factors they they were they were some of the closest shooting in the whole match and then you kind of went from that into back back to back to back to back to back to back to back you know short and medium courses but you know within that the, the actual stage flavor itself, and I mean, this is, this is hard to, to stay, say definitively because, you know, IPSC is not one thing. Every region, every area has its own flavor of IPSC. But for example, in IPSC, you are allowed to mandate one-handed shooting on an entire short or medium course. And an IPSC medium course is actually up to 24 rounds where in uspsa for whatever reason our medium course goes from 12 to 20 rounds don't ask me why so you can have a, a whole 12 round stage where the whole thing has to be the, the, the stage brief just says you have to shoot the whole thing strong hand the whole thing weekend again up to 24 rounds and there was only one stage that had any one hand shooting and it was the whole the whole stage was a 12 round stage where you basically shot four shots freestyle through a small port and then you had a, a Rhodesian wall, which is one of these walls. Typically, it has a, a rope in the middle and you have to hold the rope to lean around it. But in this case, you're able to use the port cut in the wall and just hold on to that with your hand. But basically, you had to shoot four shots around one side of the port, strong hand only, or around one side of the wall, strong hand only, and then four shots around the left side of the wall, strong uh, weak hand only. And so that was that was the only one handed shooting in the match. So, again, it was, you know, the there. The stages didn't violate the IPSC rules, but they also there was there was something lacking in the sense that there wasn't necessarily using that aspect of IPSC that is available, where you do see that kind of one-handed shooting tested in in that way by dictating it in the, in the stage brief to some degree. If if these were all, I mean, if you just told me, hey, these are all USPSA stages, really, the only big difference would be whether you could cut a few corners. And and go outside the shooting area in a few spots, but overall the the flavor was very, very samey. It wasn't that different from what you would see at a, at a typical USPSA match. Even again, even the the the, the stage where one handed shooting was required, it was required physically, which you could do at a USPSA match. You could set up that exact same stage, and it's a it's a legal USPSA stage. The the overall stages I think were so there was a handful maybe 10 no-shoots, something like that across the entire match, uh, you know, targets partialed with no-shoots, and there was no hard cover of any kind. So there was a lot of open targets, which has its own challenges and drawbacks. I mean, I'll I'll admit I, I racked up a lot of Charlies and Deltas by going too fast on the open targets, but it definitely was not the, the stages, you know, the target presentations that you saw here. There were a lot of two targets shoulder to shoulder, sometimes even three, which it drives up the the round count, drives up the hit factor, but is not typically what you know when you think of technical, challenging, high shot difficulty, low hit factor IPSC stages. Which not every IPSC stage is like that, but this definitely was sort of more of a more USPSA ish. It it just there were a lot of high hit factors, and you know the the three two one format says you know one out of every six of your stages has to be a long course, but it doesn't say it has to be a 32 round long course. You know, you could take out three of the targets and make it a a 26 round long course. And in a lot of cases, they're most of the stages that were, that were the most of the long courses and even some of the mediums could, could have a few targets taken out or even just spread around. So if you imagine two targets, shoulder to shoulder, if, if you're being forced into the position to shoot one of them, well, the one that's a little more open, if you move it six or eight or 10 feet over then you have the option to, to roll in or roll out while shooting that target. So, you know, there there are opportunities to open things up and make it. So you're not just shooting basically four shots at, at two targets, shoulder to shoulder. So there was, there was a lot of that. And so again, as a match, it wasn't really a problem. They were fine stages. Some of them, some of them were quite good. I did like, I did like a number of them and uh, the, the, there was stage 18, I believe it was, was the one, one per shot stage. And so That was one where having the targets shoulder to shoulder did add some dimension to it it added some challenge in the sense that you're you're having to transition on every shot and so having the targets shoulder to shoulder doesn't drive up the the hit factor the way it it often does on on some of the other stages where that where you saw that but you know just in, in general i think the with the exception of a few targets there was you know one 35 yard shot you had to take it a very very mild lean. There were a few over the top swingers that were really spicy. There were a number of over the top swingers, but I'd say most of them were quite doable. But aside from a few targets in the match, the shot difficulty was was fairly easy. There were a few distant shots, a few really, like I said, aggressive movers. But comparatively, this was this was very much a sort of fast shooting, high hit factor match. And again, not necessarily a bad thing. But if if you went into it expecting something expecting this to be something like a like a, an international ipsc match it just wasn't that and so you know i'm, I'm that's why i'm kind of a mixed i'm i'm not disappointed in it but like i said I can't i kind of came in with with pretty moderate expectations one thing that did that, that was very sort of ipsc about the match that i'm told you you do see a lot more overseas was the idea of of pre-scoring so and, and again, a lot of this was most of the stages had two, maybe three ROs. And so they were, they were definitely shorthanded. And so in a lot of cases, they would definitely be scoring ahead. So you have the timer RO obviously following the shooter. And in, in some cases you'd have the the tablet RO going down one side and, you know, sometimes you'd have the the third RO going down the other and using the, you know, IPSC hand signals to, to indicate the the scoring of the targets. And so you know, you, you might get to see the last half of your targets, but in a lot of cases they were already scored and and in some cases pasted before you got to look at them, which is more of a, of an IPSC thing. And I think that that is related to this idea that you just kind of have to trust the ROs more where, you know, my, my preference is if, you know, if you can in a match, you have the, the shooter follow the timer RO, the timer RO calls out every target to the scorekeeper, and then, well, ideally, the the staff resetters sort of follow them around and, and paste and reset behind them, or even in a competitor reset environment, they wait for the timer RO to call it out. But I recognize that there is some advantage to being able to uh, to to paste ahead. I don't know how how big it is. I mean, ultimately, the the stage runs the stage only runs as fast as the slowest target to paste and reset, and so if you get all the easy targets close to the start of the shooting area reset, but you know, it still takes a while to walk down to the farthest one and, and pace that and come back. How much time have you saved? There's an argument to be had there, but that is very, a very common thing in IPSC. One other thing about the stages that I thought was, again, I'm I'm kind of mixed because this is actually something that from what I hear is becoming more common in IPSC is the idea of having stages where you, you start anywhere in the shooting area, which to me, just from a stage design perspective, I think is a huge miss. I think you give up a lot of interesting choices when you just let the shooter start standing somewhere, even if it's, you know, they have to take one step. They, they just, you know, you start straddling a stick or toes touching somewhere or or something like that. I think just adding that little bit of complexity so they're, you're, you're basically not just setting up square to your first target and then just basically doing a, a standing flat-footed draw to that target where you have to draw and step or draw and turn or do do something to, to add a little bit of variety to the to the start position. And also, I think by, by picking a, a well-balanced start position, you actually create options. You make it so that going left or right or going you know, forward or back first, you, you can actually do some interesting things with that. And I will say, I, I kind of cribbed... A, well, there there were two... Well, really, three stages of this match that sort of had a U-shaped shooting area, and I, I kind of cribbed them all and used them for a, a local uh, Sir Walter match as a stage design there. But I put the, the start position in the middle of the U, and so there, your choice was basically do you you know run straight to the, the front left corner and then kind of follow the U around? Do you run straight to the back corner? I, I think that actually... Even just by moving the start position, it added dimension and and options to the stage, not in a in a way where it, it added more complexity once you decided on your start your stage plan, but just you you could sort of choose: do you want to step in and start shooting sooner, or run to the back and then shoot everything sort of back to front? So that's one of those things where, in my opinion, it's it's a missed opportunity. But I also recognize that that is I think becoming more common in in IPSC. So you know in that sense, I guess you kind of get, get what you pay for that. That was sort of delivering on that, that part of the experience. The one other thing that also is, is very much an IPSC thing that was definitely enforced here is in the, in the IPSC rules with an asterisk that I'll come back to, but in the IPSC rules, there is no taking a site picture at make ready or dry firing. So if you need to, if you have a dot and you need to check it, you're supposed to aim at the ground, not at a target. And then there's no pointing the gun at the target, dry firing through the stage or air gunning, you know, in your, in your visualization or anything like that. It's, Hey, load the gun up, holster it, get ready to shoot and you know, make ready is not your time to get an extra personal visualization walkthrough. It is your time to make ready and shoot. And if you're not, then in this, I mean, I didn't actually see this happen, but, but the idea is if you're not unload, go to the back of the line. Don't, don't waste everyone's time because at the end of the day, we got to keep the match moving. And it, it is an interesting paradox, right? That, that we enforce a clock on the group walkthrough, but not on the individual that you, you only get five minutes to walk through the stage, but at make ready, especially in the U S most ROs will just stand there for pretty much as long as you want to take. And so, you know, the question is, how do you, how do you enforce a clock on that? Well, the IPSC take is it's not, there's not an explicit clock. The RO isn't standing there with a stopwatch, but if you can't dry fire, you can't aim at a target. And what else is there to really do it make ready? I mean, you can stand there with your hand on the gun and, you know, visualize through the stage and just take time standing there, at which point the, the RO culturally will start to get a little more agitated at you. But it, it, it's an interesting take that in terms of, you know, everybody talking about match flow and you know, going to, oh, instead of a five minute walkthrough, go to a three minute walkthrough, it'll save you, you know, this much amount of time. It's like, well, if we could just get people to take shorter make readies and longer walkthroughs, maybe that would be better. But so that that was definitely an IPSC, both rule and, and cultural thing that was enforced. The one asterisk that I mentioned earlier is it was interesting that the handgun rules say no aiming at a target, the PCC rules, because in IPSC, PCC is treated more closer to a rifle division. And, you know, technically you're not supposed to have PCC and handgun in the same match. They're, you know, scored in separate matches and their results aren't comparable, which has other side benefits I'll get to in a second. But the PCC rules do say you can take a sight picture on a given target as long as it's dedicated, as long as it's designated on the stage. Unless the range master has posted in the WSB that you can't. And so it wasn't in the WSB, but de facto, even the PCC guys weren't allowed to, to take a sight picture at a target, which, you know, that's just one of those little, little nuances where even I, even I didn't realize until I was talking to a PCC shooter after the match. And I was looking at the handgun rule book and the PC rule book, and they actually have slightly different rules there, which is confusing. But the, It is interesting in the sense that on that stage that I mentioned earlier, where you had to shoot through the port and then basically hang off the wall, either holding onto the port with one hand or holding onto a rope, because the PCC match was technically a separate match, they actually had a a separate shooting area. So where as a handgun shooter, you had to stay in the the little box, the platform right behind the wall. The PCC guys had a separate rectangular shooting area where, you know, maybe a, a yard back, And much wider where they could see all the targets just standing flat-footed because there was there was no way that they could practically lean around the wall with and and shoot the pcc one-handed and there's something to that i i have to recognize that's an interesting way to to solve the problem of how do you have matches where you still want to challenge pistol shooters but you want to allow pcc shooters an alternate way to engage the stage as well and in this case, it was it was as simple as they just get their own shooting area. I thought, okay, you know, that fair enough. So on the whole, I'm I'm glad I went. It definitely doesn't, you know, i think there this is not the caliber of match that that we should be calling a nationals. I definitely think there, there's more to it than that. But you know, if you just kind of went into it the way I did, just kind of looking at it as kind of a you know state level match, eh, it was it was fine. It was a fine match. I will be interested to see how Rio Salado handles hosting IPSC Nationals in I believe it's April. Yeah, it's going to be in the spring, so it's going to be 5 or 6 months between the the two matches, which is obviously a a quick turnaround for the folks trying to trying to qualify for a world shoot team, but it it will definitely be I mean, if you look at at the way Area 2 has run, especially the last few years, they've been very I think very IPSC-ish kind of stages, very challenging technical lots of movement not shooting a bunch of targets from one spot so hopefully they're able to bring that sort of spirit to the match i don't imagine i have no plans to to shoot that match i would love to but I, I just logistically i don't think it'll work out but i i look forward to sort of seeing from afar what they can do with it and i would like to see you know going into the future i definitely would like to see uspsa as a headquarters at least investing some fraction of of what we invest in the various USPSA nationals in trying to make sure that the that the IPSC nationals do represent what IPSC is and part of that is having people who do travel internationally and can can provide that context and that experience which is not most people i mean i i'm the first person to admit i've i've never actually shot an IPSC match overseas i would love to but i also would like I'd like us as a, as an organization to be able to import some of that and bring it here, right? Instead of, instead of taking people overseas, if we can bring what, what is unique about IPSC matches and, and actually put that experience on over here, I don't see why that, that can't be done. So I, uh, at some point, maybe I'll do a a podcast about my shooting, talk about the stages more in detail. I don't want to drag this one out too much longer, but I just figured it'd be good to kind of give people a a perspective on it because I know, you know, for example, I was, I was looking at the IPSC rules around production and base pads and there had been some clarifications before the, before this match about the the rule book says in production and production optics, you're allowed to have base pads that add negligible weight, but what does negligible mean? At one point there was an interpretation proposed that said no more than 5% of the weight of the magazine, but 5% of what, you know, was it going to be 25 grams? That's also a number that's been thrown around. And, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was compliant with IPSC rules. And as it was, I, that was, that was not even remotely checked. I mean, there was a, so the way Chrono was handled is on stage 18, two out of the 10 folks on your squad were randomly picked to go to Chrono and, Hopefully they were able to go there and back and, you know, not, not delay the whole squad because obviously after 18, you had to walk all the way back to one. So you didn't want to hold the whole squad up, but two guys went to chrono and presumably got their gear checked. I'm sure if you were shooting a classic or standard gun, it got put in the box, that sort of thing. But I, I would be really surprised if anybody told me that they were shooting production and had their, had their base pads weighed. So there's that element of, if you just read the IPSC rulebook and look at what IPSC matches are like, and then you come to a match like this expecting it to be like that. It's it's not exactly. I'm glad I was prepared. I'm glad all my gear was legal, but there definitely was was not the enforcement that there could have been. And like I said, I'll be curious to see how that how that runs at at Rio Salado, and you know, hopefully going forward we can, as an organization, I would I would like to see us put more more assistance into running the IPSC nationals close to the level of resources that we invest in, in running the, the regular USPSA nationals. Now, obviously there's a whole budget conversation and we're, we're losing money. And one of the main things losing money is, is the USPSA nationals. So I'm not trying to say uh, in the short run that, that we should make IPSC nationals lose a hundred thousand dollars the way that all the US nationals do, but It is one of those things that's on my radar as if we can help bring this match up to that same level of quality while also sort of bringing that actual international flavor. So it's not just the same, the same sort of match, just with a slightly different coat of paint. I think that would be good, but we will see where that goes. Well, that wraps up this episode of short course. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is com. Talk to you next time.